Hello and welcome to another special edition of GasCast, where today I'm speaking with CEO of Bristol Rovers Community Trust, Adam Tutton. Welcome, Adam. How is isolation life treating you? Uh, it's tough, I have to say. I'm sure I'm like everyone else. It's, uh, it's very different. Life seems very, very strange at the moment. Uh, I've done small things around the house than I've done in about the last two years. Yeah. Um, so before we talk about what the community trust are doing with this coronavirus outbreak, because I've seen you've been doing some great work about it. Do you want to just explain what the community trust actually does? I mean, a lot of people may think that you're part of the football club, but in fact, you're actually a separate entity. Yes. Yeah, so Bristol Rovers Community Trust is the official charity of Bristol Rovers Football Club. Uh, we've been around for over 20 years now as a charity. Uh, we are independent, as you say. So we are separate than the football club in the sense we have our own board of trustees. We have our own bank accounts, our own finances. But we're obviously linked very closely with the club through the branding. But yeah, we're separate entities. Uh, the club don't fund us in any way. They support us hugely through the use of players and obviously the branding. But as an organisation, we are fully, fully self-funded. So, you know, part of my role as chief exec is to go out uh, and find the money so that we're able to deliver the wide range of projects that we do. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen you've been really busy during this coronavirus outbreak. I mean, I know organisations and individuals haven't really been able to get a handle on the situation because it's really unprecedented times. I mean, what, what are you doing as a community trust to, to help in these times? So as a community trust, we've got four key areas that we work within and they're what we call the four key quarters as in the sort of Rovers badge. And that's education, health, inclusion and sport. So those four key areas are where we deliver all of our work um, that ranges from daytime school work through to evening work with identified groups, be it disability sport, be it with the elderly. We run a very successful education project uh, at Bristol Rovers with about 40 full-time students that study there rather than going on to college. Um, all of that as of last week was just thrown up in the air. I have to say, you know, much like everyone else listening, it was an unprecedented situation that moved incredibly rapidly. Last week, we were, we were still in the majority of schools that we work with. So we were still delivering in schools until about Friday when things obviously changed very, very quickly. And uh, we, we do work closely with the Premier League. And we work closely with the EFL, the English Football League as well, who, who, who tend to fund a lot of the projects. And that's where a lot of our funding comes. Mm. They've been very proactive. They're very closely linked in with the government. Okay. Um, and we've had to cover and follow what they've suggested. And obviously, one of the first things to stop was when they were talking about gatherings and groups of people was any of our evening work where we might have up to 120 young people come together to play football on free football sessions. You know, mm. that was one of the first things that we had to, had to put a stop to. So it, it's affected us. We had to then look at some of our other groups we work with. Um, the over 60s group that we've got, obviously, an incredibly vulnerable group that's based at the stadium on Tuesdays. That's had to stop. Uh, our disability programs our mental health programs all of our external provision had to stop and that was 
that was a, the sort of request of the Premier League and the funding partners that we've got because they had to follow government advice. Mm. Uh, and that's what we've done. So the work that I've got for all of our staff is really sort of is cut off uh, when the lockdown came into place. As of then, all of our delivery as such, our external delivery, our in-schools delivery stopped. Uh, and it was at that point where I thought, right, we're a community trust. You know, we're, we're an award-winning charity in Bristol we need to be doing something. Um, and that's when I had to sit down with some of the trustees. I had to sit down with the staff and we had to say, right, what can we do? You know, what, what is needed in this city now? And, and that was where everything started to change. And that was sort of, you know, it was as briefly as last week, really. Yeah. So you've obviously had to stop doing lots of things. You, you mentioned about kind of the over 60s groups, the education program, disability sessions are there still ways that you're able to deliver those on on some levels is it a case of moving online somehow yeah no absolutely i think for any charity the people that you work with are the most important aspect of the work you do uh, and that's what we we thought was we cannot just abandon those people we work with and so it was thinking outside the box is what we've had to do. We've worked with some other clubs across the country. As I said, I've mentioned the Premier League and the EFL a few times. Uh, they've been very good at supporting us. Um, we've been working with other clubs across the country in terms of trying to share best practice, what are other clubs doing. And we've tried as best we can to continue working with those identified groups. So to give you some example, the education project, um, that probably was one of the easier ones in which what we've done with that is it's all gone online. Uh, we've purchased some online software so that the tutors that we've got at Bristol Rovers can still engage with the 40, 45 students that we've got in their home. So every day the teachers are still getting up, they're planning their lessons, they're delivering the lessons online. So the students are still getting an education. Uh, and I think as much as anything, that's really good for people of 16 to 18 years of age. You know, we know the issues around mental health. Mm. And I think for any young person that's, that's used to coming in, used to a lot of activity, playing football every day, it's going to be really difficult and, and also scary times. Mm. So, so the education department are doing a great job and, and that's running as normal. Um, another one that I've uh, tried to sort of, really keep going is our fit fans project which is uh, a project we've been running to um improve people's health well-being and weight management yeah we've been running there for about seven weeks before things were called off uh which was a real shame because a lot of the lads were really getting to know each other uh, really coming together as a group a lot of them were losing weight a lot of them were taking up a lot of exercise and then suddenly something like this appears you know so with regards to that um i'm trying to do a bit of a joe wicks and produce some of my own little yeah. fitness videos to keep them going luckily the week before we stopped we we just done some exercises you, you could do at home so um, yeah. i'm in contact with them we got a whatsapp group uh, i'm still trying to put out the weekly lessons because uh, none of them want to finish, you know. It's it's mm. actually become quite a focus for them now uh, during isolation. So those are a couple of examples that, that we're doing. Um, our over 60s group, obviously probably the most vulnerable group that we work with. Uh, we're trying to contact them at least once a week. Mm. Just a phone call, really. Just a chat, see how they are. Do they need any deliveries? Do they need any food, anything brought? Because uh, they probably are... 
uh, a group of our fans, a group of our uh, participants that, that I'm really concerned about. You know, mm. we've got people up to the age of, you know, just under 90, I think, is our oldest. Uh, so they need to be looked after because, you know, isolation in that age is, is terrible for anyone. But I think when you're in your... Yeah, so I mean, how do those sessions work then with the over 60s? Is it obviously over 60, you could have a... 60 year old 61 year old who is um really fit and active up to like you said a 90 year old how do you then interact with the the older lot of that age group yeah so the the, the club itself is called extra time this is a great name for it for an overseas yeah. club as such uh, and again that's been running now for for over 10 years uh they meet every tuesday up at the mem and and it's a two-hour session where it could be something as simple as uh, some games that we play, some social interaction, could be having a cup of tea. Um, we also try and always introduce a bit of physical activity during the sessions. And then every other week, um, staff from Bristol Rovers Community Trust take them out on the minibus and we take them on a, on a visit. Mm. So it's probably one of the closest projects to my heart, really, because uh, for a lot of that group, it's the only time during the week that they get out. So it was really, really important to all of us that that sort of one link they had to the outside world didn't end because of this coronavirus. So we're going to be trying on a weekly basis to, to have a chat, you know, even if it's sort of us dropping off some shopping or, you know, I'm trying to get a few of them involved in um, Skype calling. And uh, OK, how, how's that going? Uh, let's be honest, not very well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, There's I, I struggled setting this up today, let, let alone someone who's over 60 trying to do it. Oh, it well. took me over an hour. So, yeah, so yeah. for our 94-year-old Jim, I think he's going to have a bit of a problem with it. But, yeah. no, it's, you know, again, it's something that we're trying to do. Uh, it's not going to be perfect. I think that's that's the thing with, with this. We're all learning as we go along, you know, and we've just got to do the best we can do. Yeah. So, I mean, it, so it sounds like you've been really creative thinking outside the box for, for your current groups so i saw you put out a, a call out to local organizations who need help has, has many people come forward with that needing help what's happened there yeah so on the back of um you know like i said i suppose the middle of last week we, we could see things were, were rapidly changing um we were getting some direction from the Premier League about, you know, the fact that some things were likely to be pulled off. And uh, the meetings we had were like, right, okay, what can we do? So, so in the first instance, I actually wrote directly to uh, Bristol City Council with uh, an email that basically said, look, we've got a staff of 10 qualified, um, C CRB checked individuals that are going to be available to support with whatever is needed. Because at that stage, I didn't know what was going to be needed. I don't mm. think any of us knew what was needed. And to a certain extent, I still don't think we know what's needed. I think, you know, probably by the time this goes out, things will have changed again. Um, and the landscape is forever changing. So we're just trying to be as fluid as possible. Uh, the letter or the email went out to the council. I have to say they were really, really good. Yeah. They came back. Um, they linked us up with a few organizations across Bristol, including Vosca. They linked us up with Feed in Bristol. They linked us up with a couple of the food banks because I basically said, here's some staff. We want to get out in the community and help. We've got a minibus. What do you need? Mm. Uh, and in the first instance, we didn't get a great deal of response. 
Um, I think that was because people were purely, they didn't know what was happening. Mm. On the back of that, we also then did a big social media push sort of saying, are there any local Bristol charities, organizations or groups that could do with, do with manpower really? Cause I think that's, you know, the stage we're at now, that's what it's about. It's about mobilizing people to do whatever is needed. Um, I know a few friends of mine have signed up for the NHS and those sort of 400,000 people that have done that is fantastic. If I can offer 10 members of staff that can, you know, just do their bit, uh, that's, that's what we need to do. And, and, and so now we've started to get requests coming in uh, and it's been a really wide uh, and strange, strange sort of uh, set of requests for, for basically a series of football club coaches to go out and do. But yeah. uh, as all my staff said, that they'll do whatever is needed. Yeah, I saw you posted um, a video of you in the minibus with bags and bags of food. What, what was going on there? Yeah, so uh, that was yesterday. Yesterday, we were approached by St. Mary Redcliffe uh, Primary School, south of the river. Oh, dear. Uh, I mean, you can't have that right out, can you? Well, I must admit, yeah, it was, I was crossing the river in, in, yeah, a, in a, a little bit minibus. dodgy. Rover's, uh, Rover's kit on. I certainly had a few funny looks as I was stood down by St. Mary Redcliffe about 500 yards from Ashton yeah. Gate. Uh, but no, it's, you know, this thing isn't about, you know, Rover's or City at the end of the day. Mm. You know what I mean, it's, it's a virus that's going to affect anyone. So, um, yeah, we were asked by the school. Um, they've got a very high number of free school meal children down there. Um, in fact, they've got in excess of 170 kids down there that receive free school meals. Now, what you've got to imagine is that these young people that are now in isolation, for a lot of them, the breakfast and the lunch that they were getting at school was the key meals that they got. A lot of these kids, unfortunately, go home and probably don't even get a meal of an evening. Mm. So uh, the staff and myself had a conversation. We said, we need to help in any way we can. So the school asked us, they said, look, we've packed up over 170 weeks worth of food uh, for the families of these kids. Can you help us? So, you know, we were straight over there. We loaded up the minibus um, and we drove over to uh, a drop-off point um, near to the school and there's some flats there where a lot of the school children live uh, and we set up a camp um, and it was very much going back to sort of the old days I was actually beeping mm. the horn we were meeting some local residents we said look we're here can you go and tell the families um, and slowly but surely people started to come out of the flats mm. and it was a very surreal experience yeah you know we were all there we had gloves on um masks on you're trying to keep a couple of meters away from everyone and people are coming out and you're actually handing them a week's worth of food and then mm. they would go back they're back into their flats um and I, I mentioned to you earlier just before we came on air that what was also very frightening was that some of these families and i don't think we realize this but are really really scared by this virus to the extent that they didn't even want to open the door of their flats and come out. Oh. So um, it took to us actually getting a list of where a lot of these pupils lived, wandering around and leaving the bags of food outside their house. Mm. You know, this is having a significant effect on, you know, families across the city more than I think, you know, we, we see sometimes. Well, and I think you raise a really good, point there about a lot of these children and, and families don't always have access to to food even before this coronavirus outbreak 
I mean, we, we've seen food bank use skyrocket in, in recent years. So for those people in this circumstance, are going to be hit even harder. I know um, probably I think the, the last home game that, that got cancelled, there was going to be um, a food bank collection from Gasheads Against Food Poverty, which I'm a part of. I know many other Gasheads get, get involved with to support theirs. Amazing. So they're going to be hit the hardest as well. So, I mean, a lot of people have been talking about panic buying and not being able to get their essentials when they go shopping. But for a lot of people, they weren't able to get those essentials in the first place. So trying to reach those communities, especially if they are really quite isolated, is quite, is quite tricky. So I think what you're doing is really important work. But I suppose the, the difficulty at this early stage is actually targeting these people and, and finding out where they are. So, I mean, are you linking in with other organisations quite a lot? You, you, you mentioned the council. I know there's mutual aid groups. Is there a big community of people in Bristol that you're linking up with? Yeah. As we said at the start, this is early days. You know, we've had a lockdown of three days maybe, you know, and I've already done, I think we've done sort of three different visits, but things are very as needed at the moment. I know the council are trying to put together some form of strategy and pull together people. I think one of the things Bristol can do very well is to link organisations up. You know, there's a, a risk sometimes of independent charities working in isolation from each other, mm. you know, and I can see where that comes from. It's about fundraising. It's about how they finance their own organizations. This is bigger than that. This is much bigger than that. And we have to ensure over the next few weeks that either through sort of people power um, or through leadership of the council, mm. you know, that those organizations pull together. Now, I do know, you know, um, we've been speaking, uh, I work closely with Councillor Helen Godwin, who's um, sort of head of Young People's Services. I know she's doing a lot to ensure that everyone is supported through this. Mm. Um, so one of the ones, you know, like you mentioned, um, we've been in contact with Feed in Bristol. Feed in Bristol do a huge amount of great work. We've worked with them on holiday camps uh, in the past, um, North Bristol Food Bank's another one that we've worked closely with. Uh, Feed in Bristol have come to me. Uh, in fact, only yesterday they contacted me to say, look, you know, is the minibus available? Have you got some staff that would be able to distribute food parcels to uh, economically vulnerable people? Uh, to which I've replied, yes. And really at the moment, it's a case of us waiting at the end of a phone and saying, when do you need me? Where do you need me? Mm. Uh, and that's what it's going to take over the next few weeks. If this goes on beyond that, I think, you know, hopefully perhaps the council uh, will be able to pull together some sort of overarching strategy about how we tackle all of this issues. Because, you know, another one that we've just been involved with today is the homeless issue. Mm. You know, this is another, it's an area that I know I've worked with you on in the past, but it's another group of people that are incredibly vulnerable. Um, I was only today down at, um, we had a phone call yesterday from the Wild Goose Cafe, which is on okay, Stapleton yeah. Road, um, who we've supported in the past, a couple of years ago, actually two Christmases ago, I don't know if you remember, but Stuart Sinclair 
and locks came down and um, mm. over Christmas and served Christmas dinners for over two and a half hours down there. I think they served nearly 220 Christmas dinners to the home. Yeah, they, they had to put in a, a, real, a real shift, didn't they? It, it wasn't just um, a photo opportunity, was it? They, they really got stuck in, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they, they did more work that afternoon trying to feed the homeless than they'd ever done in 90 minutes on the pitch. I can <laughs> <see you there. laughs> and I mean... I mean, they put in a lot on the pitch, so that's that's really good going. Yeah, no, I'm only kidding. Yeah, they know that. I think those were two of the players, as yeah. we know, that probably did put the most in when they had that shirt on the Rovers. They certainly put in a shift, you know. Mm. Um, so uh, we've gone down there. We received a phone call yesterday saying, "Look, we're trying to put together 150 uh, food parcels for the homeless um, because of the social distancing. Um, they can't be." closer than obviously the two meters so they have to bag this foodstuffs up and people come and collect them from a designated point um and they'd run out of um they'd run out of plastic bags yeah. something as simple as that that they had no plastic bags left to deliver the food and they were worried that the homeless people would not be able to pick up their food mm. so we got a phone call yesterday saying look strange request any chance the rovers could provide some plastic bags Okay. So, you know, it was a quick phone call to Tom Gorringe, quick phone call to Kay in the shop, and they said, of course. Uh, and I was delighted this morning to drop off, um, I think probably in the region of about 500 carrier bags Great. to support with the work they do down there. Now, that's something I never in a lifetime thought would become a necessity. And, yeah. and I mean, they're, they're quite um, strongly branded, those uh, bags, aren't they? Real, like, bright blue pirate leg. Yeah, I think, you know, bags. people need to be prepared to see, you know, quite a few pirate leisure bags wandering yeah. around the centre of Bristol over the coming weeks. Is, it, is this basically just some guerrilla marketing? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, Tom Gorin's has introduced some very, very interesting techniques. I don't know if this is him being incredibly clever. Yeah, he's, he's a bit left field than he, Gorringe, at, at times. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great that you are interacting with those communities i mean this this comes off the back of it was only probably what like a, a month ago maybe less than that the sleep where you stand evening which i touched upon on a previous episode of the podcast do you want to just talk to us a bit about that evening yeah where, well I mean, most um, people probably know about it because it was so well publicized and it was so successful but just um, a few words from the community. Yeah, um, the Sleep Where You Stand project was our first ever uh, sleep out at the Memorial Stadium, which I was delighted that you were involved. In fact, you were a key part of the evening, obviously um, chairing the whole sort of debate for us. Uh, and you can listen to that push. debate on um, a previous episode of Gascast as well, recorded. So if you didn't manage to tune into that, tune into that. Yeah, as you know, a great night. You know, anyone listening, you know, please go back and have a listen to the to the um, you know to the gas chat from that evening because it brought up some really interesting approaches to how football, football groups, football organisations, fan power can be used to tackle homelessness, which we know is a huge issue in our city. So yeah, it was a great night. You mm. know, um, obviously it was a long, cold night that uh, we both went through, and you know, I have to thank you for taking part in it. And I know you helped raise, you know, towards the sum, which I think now was in excess of about £7,000 we raised. I think that's amazing, a isn't it? Fantastic sum of money, which went entirely uh, towards supporting the homeless in Bristol with, with our partner organisation that we're caring in Bristol. 
yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was a good night and, you know, it's something we'll look to do again next year. Yeah, and I, I know Karen and Bristol were bowled over by the support of, of Gas Ed and, and you mentioned the, the panel discussion that we had on the night. And it wasn't just the panel discussion where the panellists, yourself included, and we had the director of Karen and Bristol on, they weren't the ones speaking all of the time, audience members who were also taking part in the sleep out, they came up with some cracking suggestions and you could just see how passionate and, and motivated people are to, to get involved. So it, it was a really inspiring evening. I've got to say sometimes with panel discussions, there's a lot of um, good, good talking, people talking a good game. Um, but it, it kind of went further than that. There was, there was a lot of kind of solution-focused solution um, things that, that came out of it as well. But I mean... On, on, the, on, the, on the back of it as well, I think, you know, as you, as you say, sometimes, you know, these things can be seen as, you know, we're doing something for the sake of doing it. This, is, this wasn't about that. This was about starting a movement, about seeing how fans of the club could come together to try and tackle um, an issue uh, that we all know is very prevalent in this city, that of homelessness. Mm. And what's delighted me is that I have had numerous, numerous emails from participants that took part in the night saying, what can I do to help? You know, mm. not only just tackle the issues of homelessness, but also to sort of support the work uh, of the community trust, which has been delightful i have to say you know because mm. uh as i've always said a football club and a football club's charity is nothing without the support of the fans um and if we can start to build our club you know as a fan-led organization you know which is where we we're strong you know and i think it's our unique selling point over the other lot the other side of the city mm. is that we do care we do come together uh, and that's why i'm proud you know, to be leading the organisation I lead. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you actually, Adam, because I mean, we know each other in a personal capacity, but I don't think I know the answer to this. How did you first get involved with the Community Trust? So my background was was education. I was actually a, a teacher. Uh, I was a primary school teacher. I was also a secondary PE teacher for a while uh, and then went on to become a head teacher uh, and, and in a very short, you know, in, over about the last 10 years, I was actually seconded from Bristol City Council as a teacher to come to Rovers to run an education programme. Oh, wow. It was called Playing for Success. Uh, that was about 12 years ago now. And then on the back of that, um, I used to work running projects for year five and six pupils using the power of sport based around maths and literacy. And then very, very rapidly, I sort of saw the opportunities that we needed to be doing more as a community trust. Community trust years ago used to be ex-professional footballers mm. going into a playground, um, you know, and that's not it's said in any disrespectful way. That's the way the charities were set up at the time. Mm. You would have an ex-Rovers player would come on. They would go into schools. They would do a lunchtime club. They would do an after-school club and, you know, maybe a holiday camp. Yeah, I mean, that, I used to do a session with Pete Aitken when he yeah, was... Yeah, Pete, um, well, Pete, Pete you know, ran, ran a fantastic job. You know, Pete Aitken was my boss when I joined. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think as as things moved on, community trusts or foundations for football clubs across the country began to 
evolve. I think the Premier League, you know, and funding from the Premier League helped that. And we needed to <coughs> widen the remit of groups we work with. You mm-hmm. know, charity work for us isn't just about playing football. You know, mm. and I've touched on some of the projects we're doing now. Uh, and now, um, you know, we, we, we've had a, a great couple of years. We've grown, we've got 10 full-time staff. We've got a couple of part-time staff. We've got a huge bank of volunteers. And we're engaging with probably in excess of 2,000 people a week with all mm. of our projects. You know, so we are having a huge impact. We've had a, uh, you know, a really successful, we won the Bristol Life Charity of the Year. Uh, back in 2018, uh, at the national awards this year, we got uh, silver in the best uh, non-Premier League community trust. Wow. Only losing out to Sunderland. Um, when you think of clubs that sort of size, you know Sunderland's community trust have just built a 22 and a half million pound community facility. Mm. It sort of puts up, up what we're against. So but, we're really punching above our weight, then. I have to say, yeah, we uh. we are, um, but that's only because. Because of the support we get from the fan base and the hard work of everyone that we've got at the trust, the board of trustees, and and I'll be very honest, the you know the owner Whale, well, mm. uh, the CEO Martin, Tom Gorringe, they're massively supportive of what they what we do. Yeah, I think they realise going back to my earlier point, you know, that's this is a strength of Rovers. Mm. You know, you see it on the terraces. We are a community based club. I don't think anyone listening could could deny that. You know, mm. um, that's our strength, and, and that's what makes my job that much easier. Because when yeah. I put something on like the sleeping event, um, we put on any of our specific projects. You were involved in a lot of what we've done. We've done the mental health work a few years ago. Mm. Fans engage with what we do. You know, mm. I don't have any problem, and I think people know that uh, they're going to come and learn something at the events, and they're going to find out something that perhaps they didn't know beforehand. Yeah. So, I mean, how involved does the club get? I mean. You mentioned a few of the, the key figures from the football club. Um, but, I mean, you're obviously still a separate entity. How do you strike that balance? Yeah, it's it's a good question. You know, the, the club don't re- request anything of us. You know, like I've said, they, they, don't, they don't ask anything specifically from us. Um, you know, having to a certain extent, a carte blanche to do what we want to do. You know, obviously, if it's a, a, an idea like the sleepover, that needs the okay of the football club. Mm. And what they're really, really good at is... Sorry, bear with me too. What they're really, really good at... Sorry, someone was trying to knock at the door. Yeah, okay. Um, is seeing the value in what we do. Mm. So... Uh, the sleep out w- w- was something that they fully supported. You know, they had to back that. Okay. They had to back the sleep out in terms of paying for a security guard for the evening. Hmm. The club donated the um, bacon. They donated the rolls. So actually for some of the things that we put on, there is actually a cost to the club, hmm. you know, so, and again, that's something that people don't probably realise. We're not talking big sums of money that are stopping us buying a striker, mm. but they do put into the community. So I'm really well supported by them. Um, I speak quite regularly to Well. Um, he obviously follows all the social media. Um, he'll uh, congratulate us on certain projects. Um, so we've got you know the 
backing of the club because you know it's it's great PR. Mm. It is, and and especially when things aren't going particularly well on the field as well. I mean, it's it's great to see the great work that the community trust is doing off of it because I mean the the players they they come and go, but I mean the fans and the community. I mean that's ever present and as you've eloquently said is integral to to the football club isn't it yeah absolutely uh i'm just trying to think you know an example yesterday you know what i mean is where community in the club come together was i have a request for support for you know something as small as plastic bags mm. but that still needs an authorization somewhere from the football club yeah yeah um, and and they're they're always massively supportive of that, and and probably people don't quite realise that we are independent, but obviously we've also got to be aware of we are using the the brand image of Bristol Rovers. Uh, another key area where they support us fantastically is, is the access to players. You know, we've got a great relationship at Bristol Rovers, and again, I know you're aware of that. We've got four key ambassadors in Mark Little, um, Alfie Kilgore. Ollie Clark and Alex Rodman in mm. that they are community trust ambassadors for different areas of the club. So health, inclusion, uh, sport uh, and education. They go above and beyond in helping us out with projects. Mm. So literally it can be a phone call for me, lads, we're off to St. Peter's hospice to go and see some of the work that they do. Is that okay? You know, and literally the, the lads are brilliant because, you know, they're, they're professional footballers. They've got training every day. But I don't think we've ever, from any of the lads, ever had a, oh, no, I couldn't do that. Mm. And again, you know, they understand the club that they're playing for. It's important for us as a club to be doing those sorts of things. Mm. Here, here. Um, well, Adam, I, I know you're extremely busy and, and particularly busy at this present time. So I'll, I'll let you get on and um, do what you need to be doing. Uh, but just want to say... I appreciate you coming on and I know many people listening um, may have learned a few things perhaps a lot of fans already know the great work you're doing but I just want to say on behalf of fans thank you for all the work you're doing I mean we can all see the great work you're doing and can be extremely proud of it and um, yeah keep it going um, yeah keep your spirits high in this um, current climate and uh, yeah take it steady yeah, really appreciate it, mate. And um, all the listeners out there, you know, stay safe, uh, look after your families, look after your loved ones, because it will be difficult, strange times over the coming weeks. Uh, and I think more than ever, we certainly need to pull together as a, as a family and as a community um, to ensure that we all get through this okay. But thanks a lot for, for today. Top man. Cheers, Adam. <laughs>